This podcast is sponsored by GoToMeeting at GoToMeeting.com. You're listening to Success Unwrapped with Heather Vale. Welcome to Success Unwrapped with Heather Vale, the weekly radio talk show where we unwrap and reveal the secrets that successful people use, and you can too. Available at SuccessUnwrappedRadio.com. Do you find when you're doing online business that email and voicemail just aren't enough? These days, web conferencing is really a must if you're going to do online business. And in fact, even if you just want to communicate with your friends and family, it could be a solution for you there too. GoToMeeting's Web Conferencing Center really fills all the needs for a web conferencing center at one low price. If you want to get your free trial, it's good for 45 days, just go to gotomeeting.com slash podcast. That's gotomeeting.com forward slash podcast to try web conferencing free for 45 days. My special guest this week is Hans Phillips, coach, trainer, and the creator of Being University, which teaches people how to discover their essence and get out of their comfort zones. Hans has helped hundreds of clients step into their power, change their lives, and flourish in their chosen field. Hans, thanks for being here to help us unwrap the secrets of being on Success Unwrapped. My pleasure. Now, you're referred to as an ontological coach and trainer. What exactly is ontology? Ontology is a metaphysical science, and all that means is you can't touch it. Uh, and it's the study of the being of human beings, literally our relationship to ourselves and reality. About 200 years ago, people uh, discovered that who we are and how we are and how we speak and how we listen actually attracted things and created uh, different things. Up until that point, language was just used to describe how life was, but... Uh, uh, people discovered that we can actually shift our relationship to ourselves and our reality. And so uh, it's been about 200 years, and I got trained about 18 years ago, and I am so excited about what's possible from the being of human beings. The psychology, the biology, the physiology, that's all a part of the human being, but the being part is uh, infinite and full of power and possibility. And I'm very excited to to be involved in that. How exactly does the being relate to the psychology, the biology, the physiology? For me, it's the foundation upon which all those other things rest. Um, It's why I think that uh, there are people out there that are trying to make a difference with themselves or trying to make a difference with others, and they can't seem to change their behavior or change their thoughts or change their feelings. And if you can tap into the being of the human being, then all of the other things that are on top of that can be shifted as well. Uh, There's a gentleman I know who was working with cancer patients on their relationship to their disease, their relationship to their pain, and he had some phenomenal success with people even going into remission by relating to how they were being about their disease, being with their disease. And so for me, I think that we're on sort of the threshold of what's next for human beings. Um, We've spent the last hundred or so years working on the psychology of human beings, but I don't, you know, for me, the psychological piece, my my thoughts are limited. My being is infinite, so that's how it seems to me. 
When you say being with their disease, it sounds very spiritual, but I'm sure that a lot of people don't quite understand exactly what that means. How would you actually describe the process of being with things that have so-called happened to us? The idea here is that you're present in the face of some circumstance, that you don't get afraid or don't go to strategy or protection. You don't try to overcome something. You don't try to compensate for something. That you're just with that thing, whether it's a circumstance, a person, or a thing. And there's a sense of being in the moment. Uh, nothing else is occurring except what you're with. Um, I would liken it to you know, when you see something amazing in nature, whether it's a butterfly or a sunset, and time just sort of disappears, and all you're present to is that moment, being with whatever that object or thing is, whatever that experience is. And you can actually get trained to learn how to stay present, how to be with things and people and circumstances in your life. For myself, I noticed in my life that there were things that I couldn't be present with. You know, if somebody got angry, I was gone. Um, if, uh, if there was something that was confusing, where I felt stupid, I was gone. <clears throat> and over time, I've learned that I can stay present in the face of things that used to challenge me, that used to take me out, where I had to put on my mask or my armor or my shell to protect myself. And so without that protection, I have an openness and uh, a vulnerability, and I'm able to take risks uh, in the moment that if I'm protecting myself from that moment, that opportunity never presents itself. If we're being with, is that a state of just observing in a peaceful state, or should we bring emotions into the equation, like being grateful for the situation? Well, it's impossible to divorce ourselves from the human side of us. So we're going to have thoughts, we're going to have feelings. Um, for me, it's one of the fundamental fears that people have in doing this work is, so I'm going to be separate from my thoughts, I'm going to be separate from my feelings, doesn't that make me sort of a numb zombie or a robot? It's actually the opposite. When I actually am present, I'm also present to my emotions, present to my thoughts in a really profound and deeply moving way. So this idea that we're, um, we're going to separate ourselves from ourselves, it never actually happens. Now, you can be an observer sometimes. You know, if your thoughts aren't serving you, you can manage your thoughts. Or if your feelings aren't serving you, they're fear-based and reactive, and they're saying, run, run, or attack, attack, hmm. and that doesn't serve you, then you can manage those thoughts. So it's really this delightful dance that you start to do with the different parts of yourself where you're no longer at the effect of uh, sort of the automatic, reactive, fear-based, task-based um, ways of being. Now, I live in Santa Cruz, California, where there is a lot of awareness. People are, are uh, working on themselves, and people are alive and vital and awake. But for me, awareness is just the first step. The next step is to actually take that awareness and put it into action. And I want to be clear that there's no reason to do that. You can just be aware. But the planet, it seems to me, is uh, in need of people who are aware people who are being, and also people who are being in action. It's too easy to just be aware. I say, let's get in action in some way, shape, or form. Let's bring your awareness to a situation or a project or a group so that we can actually inspire other people to wake up. 
Um, asleep is a fine way to go through life. It works. People are um, not present their whole life, and it's okay. It's not mandatory to be present. But I see a lot of frowns on people's faces where they figured out this is how life is and how life is always going to be. And the greatest news is that we've got choice. We've had it all our life. And the only question is, are we going to make a choice or not? And you can not choose, um, but that's still a choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how do we know if we should be making a choice to actually take action and when to take action or when to just be aware? Great. Well, I would, at first I would take the should out of it. Okay. There's no should to life. Mm-hmm. You can take action or not. In the next moment, you have the ability to take action. And for me, the most important thing is where are you taking action from? I like to give people a simple barometer, love or fear. If you're coming from love, I trust you implicitly. I trust the action you're going to take. I trust the thought you have. I trust the feeling you have. I trust the words that are coming out of your mouth. If you're coming from fear, that's when I want to stop and take stock. Now, fear in and of itself is no reason to not take action. I'm coming to Toronto this weekend, and I have fear, but I'm going to tuck it in my back pocket and get on the airplane anyway. The challenge is to actually not have my fear run my life, not have my fear be over the top of or throughout the actions that I'm taking. So for me, it's a simple simple thing to look at is, am I coming from love or am I coming from fear? And if I'm coming from fear, what can I do to shift that so that I'm coming from love? And I want to be clear here, Heather, that I don't mean kind of an immature, la-la-la, life is grand love. I mean mm-hmm. the mature love, the powerful love, the love sort of of a parent where, you know, I love you, but I'm not afraid to scream at you if you're going to hurt yourself by sticking a fork in a socket. <laughs> okay, so what if we're at a fork in the road? There's choice A or choice B. And both choices represent things that we love, and yet both choices represent things that we might be a bit afraid of at the same time. How would you know what choice to take? It's my contention that there's a compass in each one of us, and that that compass points to a true north for each one of us. Now, granted, that compass is bruised and battered and dented and perhaps covered by years of sediment, Mm -hmm. but if we can sweep away all that stuff and refer to that compass to actually come to a place where we trust ourselves and we ask ourselves the question, which direction? Left. Great, go left. Um, The other thing I would point to is that um, women have this radar capability, this compass really strong, and so for the audience, if you want to pick a direction, um, ask the nearest woman. So there, I don't think there is a knowing, but um, what I notice is that human beings reserve the right to um, stand at that crossroads for years at a time, hemming and hawing about what there is to do and whether the, the left is the right direction or the right is the right direction. I read somewhere that, that successful people make decisions quickly and stick to them, and the rest of us take forever to decide and then hem and haw about whether it was the right decision. Mm. So for me, it's ask yourself the question. Um, the answer comes from a powerful place and a place of love and possibility for you, set off. Are you going to make mistakes? Are there going to be problems? Are you going to wonder? Sure. But picking the direction has power. And dealing with the consequences of picking that direction and setting off 
That's what's going to teach you about life, not standing at the crossroads worrying or wondering about which is the right way to go. What's the process of tapping into this inner compass and feeling or seeing where it's pointing? My coach many years ago asked me, said, Hans, do you know that love shows up when you do? That when you walk into a room, love occurs? And I didn't have that experience of myself at all. I wanted to love people. I wanted people to know that I loved them. I wanted people to love me. But it seemed like a lot of energy. It seemed like I had to do a lot in order for that thing to occur. And his thing was, no, 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 just like the color of your hair, which was brown at that time, love shows up when you do. Nothing to do about it. And so I went out in the world and I noticed for the next couple of months, love shows up when I do. And I would walk into a room and somebody's head would pop up, like those you know, sea of penguins where the one penguin pops his head up. Yeah. And I would see that person come to me. Now, whether it was conscious or unconscious, I'm not sure, but they were coming for the love that I was bringing. And it happened again and again and again, and I thought to myself, well, if I have one essential quality that shows up when I do, maybe there's more. And so I started to look at, okay, what are the, what other essential qualities are people interacting with me for? So what I noticed was love, joy, satisfaction, relationship, and power were the primary things that people were coming up and relating to me as. Now, if I come from a place of fear, there's all kinds of stuff that I can do with that, for that, and about that. But from a place of love, it was just, uh, it was like an exchange of energy or my smile inspires you to smile. It was, it was really simple. And I noticed it myself, and then I thought, well, if I notice it myself, then perhaps it's in others. And sure enough, it is. There's an essential nature in each one of us, essential qualities that are unique to us in each one of us. The challenge, Heather, is that we can't get to it on our own. Our vision is so clouded from 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of listening to that inner chatter that's negative and fearful and protective that so we can't see our own greatness. The challenge then was how do we discover our greatness? And the good news is that it's actually hidden in the view of others. If you ask somebody else what shows up when I do, what qualities do I bring into a room, they will actually report back to you your own greatness. They'll reflect that back to you. It's very generous. It's very real. It works with strangers as well as friends. We have this idea that I have to get to know someone before I can report to them who they are. It's not the case. Within about 30 or 60 seconds, people see our inner qualities, the essence of who we are, and if asked, they'll report that to us. Then the challenge is, okay, it exists because everybody's saying so, strangers and loved ones alike, but my life isn't lined up with those, with those things. My wife, my life doesn't reflect those things back to me. So then it comes to practice. And so many people have worked so hard at life for so long that practicing is the last thing in the world they want. They want the answer. They want the easy way out. They want the key. But they sure as heck don't want to start practicing. It's literally what it takes is to set up structures and processes and people and accountability and start practicing because if you practice, you'll get good at it. Heather, I imagine if you baked a peach pie today, it would probably be pretty good, yeah? If I had a recipe to follow, yeah. <laughs> but then if I said, hey, keep baking a pie a week for six months, I'll bet you that pie six months from now would be really yummy because yeah. you tested stuff and tried stuff and experimented and we'd be getting the best peach pie that you had to offer. It's the same thing with discovering ourselves and living our lives from the core of who we're being. 
it takes practice. What I want to point to and what I really want your uh, audience to know is that it's never too late to start practicing, that we can literally access our being when we're eight or when we're 80. Getting people to comment on our being and overcoming those years of chatter, that's stepping out of the comfort zone. And I know that you work a lot with getting people to step out of their comfort zone. But of course, by definition, people want to stay in their comfort zone because it's comfortable. It seems nice. It's a nice place to stay. It it feels good. So why should we step out? I've noticed that I call it a survival mechanism inside of me, and it wants to preserve me. And it's committed to three things, four things actually, three that are primary. One is it wants my life to be comfortable, safe, and easy. I've noticed that everything I've accomplished in my life that I'm proud of is not comfortable, not safe, and not easy. Mm. So maybe listening to this survival mechanism as my guide in my life might not be the thing to do. Now look, if a bus is coming down the middle of the street and I'm facing the wrong way, I want to tap into my survival mechanism and I want to survive. I don't want to think about or philosophize about, you know, well, maybe the molecules on the bus will separate and I'll be fine. No. <laughs> but I notice that I use my survival mechanism in my business. I notice that I use my survival mechanism with my wife. And it's not effective for me to be surviving in my business or surviving with my wife. So the comfort zone is merely a survival mechanism. Well, the comfort zone is something that's fine. You know, even when you're exploring, you want to set up camp and get comfortable and rest. But most of what I want is outside of my comfort zone. And I notice that if I bring things inside of my comfort zone, that my survival mechanism starts whittling away at them until there's not much left. Hmm. So for me, it's how do I create a life where I don't have a big commitment to my comfort zone. I work with a physical trainer and uh, I'm intent in being fit in a lot of different areas of my life and this physical trainer helps me with my body. And I said to him the other day, so basically if I want to maintain this level of fitness, I have to come be uncomfortable three or four days a week. Mm. And he said yes. And I really had a hard time wrapping my mind around that like I've just signed up for a life of discomfort here. Now, I could do other forms of exercise that are less uncomfortable than I do. I rollerblade, and I bicycle ride, and I'm in the ocean. But there's a growth edge, physically, for me, that I've got to hold myself to for a particular amount of time, a particular day per week, in order to get fit and stay fit. And I would propose that the same is true in our marriages, in our relationships, with our finances, with our body, with our mind, with our spirit, that fitness requires some discomfort, some stepping out into the unknown. And the question is, can I get comfortable with the unknown? The answer is, yeah, you sure can. And it's sure different than easy, safe, and uh, the things that your survival mechanism is committed to. It's a different experience. So we can get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. (laughs) It's called courage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, the, the, there's a there's a difference between bravery and courage, and I think that a lot of people think, well, I'm not brave, I'm not courageous. But for me, bravery is, you know, acting without fear. And I think that very few people are brave. Courage is acting in the face of fear, and I think courage is in each one of us. So can we be courageous? Can we act in the face of our fear? 
you know, because our fear oftentimes doesn't actually serve us. It's just fear. It's trying to keep us where we are. Our survival mechanism wants us to stay where we are in fear because then it doesn't have to do a lot of changing. There aren't any radical um, shifts. Now, that said, Heather, there are people who create a lot of drama and a lot of fear in their life, but I would propose that that's their comfort zone. Mm. So comfortable doesn't have to necessarily look like fat and happy. Right. Lots of different ways to be comfortable. And our own excellence, our own high performance, our own being um, might not be comfortable at first. But over time, you can shift that and get very comfortable with being yourself. It's an odd way to make a living. I literally introduce people to who they already are. Find out about upcoming seminars with Hans at biznetworknews.com. That's B-I-Z networknews.com. And I hope you've enjoyed the first segment of our interview. But it's not over. There's a full 200% more than what you just heard where we delve deeper into these success principles. To unwrap the full interview and get lots more tools for success, just sign up to become a Success Unwrapped member on any level you choose at successunwrapped.com slash members. This has been Success Unwrapped with Heather Vale. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of Success Unwrapped, helping you to unwrap and discover your own potential for success. Until next time, keep unwrapping. I'm Heather Vale. This podcast is part of the Blueberry Network at Blueberry.com. That's spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y dot com.